I want to welcome you to the uh, third morning service of the North Richmond Hills Campus of the Hills. Uh, welcome all of you that watch online. And if you are a guest this morning, I especially welcome you. Now, you might be wondering, does this church not love teenagers? I see tons of little kids. Where are the teenagers? We love teenagers. And several hundred of them from all three of our campuses at South Lake. Uh, West Fort Worth and here are in Denton for a retreat this weekend, and we're expecting to hear that God has done amazing things in their lives. So they'll be back with us next weekend. We're praying for a safer trip home. But that's where they are. That's just one of the cool things going on right now. Another cool thing is we're having another launch of our community groups. Every week uh, for the sermon, I prepare discussion questions, and uh, we encourage people to get into the community groups and process what I taught. In fact, those of you that watch online, a lot of you watch uh, with other people in your homes. And I would encourage you to download the questions. And when the sermon's over, go ahead and process together uh, what you think God is saying to you. But we believe we do life better when we do it together. So we've got uh, the retreat. We've got community groups. We've got next week our uh, special one dollar offering that's going to bless a family. We've got baptism weekend coming up in a few weeks. And then in a couple of months, we have harvest weekend where we're going to raise over two million dollars to send away to support evangelism around the world. I love the fall at the hills. Well, the truth of the matter is I just love the fall. It's my favorite season of the year. When fall comes to Texas, those three days are so awesome and I just relish them. And the other thing I love about fall is football. Now, almost every year in our country, in the fall, we have election season. And to keep us from getting totally beat down, God created football to encourage our hearts. Amen? Amen. And so today, like many of you, I'll be sitting there one more time letting the Cowboys absolutely destroy my heart. And I know you're going to join me. But I do want to take a moment and talk for you about the election. Uh, It's coming up in November. And as a church, we don't endorse parties or candidates. What we do endorse is engagement in the process. We do believe that it is a great privilege to live in a land where we get to have a voice in who our elected leaders will be. And we take that privilege for granted. But I'm telling you, there are billions of people in the world today that wish they could just once do what many of us won't take the time to do in November. And so what I did in the bulletin this week is I listed some websites I want to direct you to. The first is called votetext.gov. That site will tell you where you go vote based on your address. And it will help you register if you haven't voted. And if you haven't registered, you need to do that by October 11 if you want to participate in the November election. The next website lists your local and state and national candidates along with some of their statements so you can know what their platform is. The third website I side with is interesting. It lists a number of issues. And you can say, this is where I stand on this issue or that. And when you're through, it will show you the candidates that most line up with your political preferences. And then the final website is a Christian-based website. And you can go there and you can read the entire platform of both of the major 
parties. Now, I do believe as Christians, we should let our faith inform our politics like it should inform everything else. I think we should pray for our leaders. And to that end, a week from Wednesday, there's going to be a gathering at the Southlake campus of Gateway Church called The Gathering. It's a nonpartisan event to pray for our country. It's going to be simulcast to other locations. If you would like to attend, you have to go online and get a ticket. It's free, but you need to do that. So we just want to encourage you. Educate yourself. Pray for our country. And when it comes time, exercise the privilege and vote. Because we really do live in an amazing and wonderful nation. All you have to do is travel overseas to realize... What a great place America is. And can I tell you one of the things I love the most about our country? Free refills. (laughs) Have you ever gone abroad and you pay an overpriced amount for a Diet Coke and you drink it and you find out they won't bring you another one? I love living in a land where free refills are normal. Some things should not be limited, like my addiction to Diet Coke. Or like if I go to a grocery store because they're having a sale on Bluebell. And I get to the case and the sign says, limit two per person. It should be illegal to limit how much cheap Bluebell anybody can buy. Now, limits can serve a purpose. Okay? I'm glad we have speed limits. I'm glad there's an age limit on buying a gun or driving a car. God gives us limits. In our last series, By Design, we talked about the boundaries God has for the expression of our sexuality. But the reality is, most Christians have a struggle not with going past the limits God has made, but with self-imposing limits God has not made. And the church in many cases is suffering from a stagnation because of self-imposed limits. So, we've got this series starting today called Unlimited. And I want us to look at Acts 9 through 5 as we investigate what the church had to get past in order to embrace the mission of God. Because God gave the church a universal mission, a global mission. And yet for years, the church was a local effort. And it did not step into its manifest destiny as a universal move of God. They accepted limits because of fear. Because of opposition. Because of religious tradition. And because of racism. And what we're going to do the next couple of months is we're going to see God prod His church past limits. We're going to see the church go off limits. Because here's something about Christianity you need to know. It is a converting religion. If the message of Jesus is true... It is true for anyone. And it is true for everyone. And so Jesus did not tell the world to go to church. Jesus told the church to go to the world. Now think about that. The world already had religion. Jesus told his disciples, you go to other countries, other nations who already have their own gods, their own houses of worship, and you tell them about me and persuade them to worship me instead. That's the mission. 
The church is not a community with some missionaries. The church is a missionary community. And all of you that follow Jesus have been commissioned. Every one of us has this message about unlimited salvation that we are entrusted to share. And we're going to see Jesus launch that mission today. And he does it by choosing a man that not only did not think the message of Jesus should be spread, he thought it was a virus that should be destroyed. His name was Saul. Back in chapter 7, when they heard Stephen preaching about how the Jesus movement was bigger than the temple and was bigger than Moses, they got so angry they killed him. Saul was right there watching it happen and approved. In fact, Saul thought, we ought to go farther than this. And so it says, starting in chapter 9, that he, still breathing murderous threats out against the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Let me begin with a very important observation. Jesus does not call his church an it. He calls his church a me. And someone listening to me right now needs to hear that. Because you have said in the past, I really like Jesus, but I don't like church. You can't divorce love of Jesus from affection for the church. You say, yeah, but the church is full of hypocrites. And the church is broken and the church is flawed. And frankly, the church can be embarrassing. Yes. And Jesus identifies with flawed, broken, embarrassing things like you. And like me. Jesus loves His church. And when you attack and when you criticize and when you slander and when you assault the church, Jesus doesn't say you're doing that to it. He says, you're doing that to me. Why would you do that? Well, Saul would say, because I thought it was right. Saul is the perfect example of someone that was absolutely sincere and sincerely wrong. Oh, he had his doubts. He said later in a testimony, I was kicking against the goats, which was another way of saying, you know, I I had some issues in my conscience. I, I couldn't figure out. The efficacy of the law. No one tried harder than me to get right with God by keeping all the rules. And I couldn't do it. And I struggle with the stories I heard about Jesus. I mean, I knew people that saw him do things that I can't explain. And then the way the people acted that I arrested. And even Stephen, I stood there and watched him forgive the people that killed him. And all that was in my head. And it was giving me problems. But there's one thing my faith and my future couldn't get past. A dead Messiah. And so Paul had to go blind to see the truth. And I want you to see a truth this morning. That salvation can reach anyone. 
even the most skeptical, even the most hard-hearted, even the persecutor. We talk a lot about the perseverance of the saints. We probably ought to talk more about the perseverance of God. Because God refuses to give up on anyone. Salvation is unlimited. There is no one it cannot reach. Paul makes that point in 1 Timothy 1. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners. Do you get this? That salvation is all about God. We didn't find God. God found us. We didn't get God's attention because we're so good. God got our attention because He's so good. Salvation from start to finish is a work of God. That means it can reach anyone. I know there are people who think Jesus is gone. But Jesus shows up, shakes their paradigms, calls them into His kingdom. The problem is not that God has limited who could be reached. The problem is we have. So who have you put off limits? Because of their past. Because of her reputation. Because of his issues. Are we limiting salvation to only those that we think might be interested Understand, the greater the rebellion, the greater the impact of the redemption. He came to arrest people that followed Jesus. And he got arrested by Jesus. And the reality is, the church has a view of grace that is more limited than Jesus' willingness to extend it. Let me show you that. Verse 10 in Damascus. There was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. The Lord, Ananias answered. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, Ananias is one of my favorite people. And one reason is because he had such a close relationship with Jesus. That Jesus could just speak to him and he wouldn't freak out. He'd just say, yes, Lord. Think about that. There's nothing about that text that made that sound weird. Is it possible that you could have a relationship with Jesus that is so intimate that he could prompt your spirit or speak to you and it would feel normal and you would just speak back? Yes, Lord. And that was Ananias. He loved to say, yes, Lord. Well, (laughs) at least up to a point. Ananias, yes, Lord. Have a job for you. Yes, Lord. I need you to go across town. Yes, Lord. I need you to find Straight Street. I know that street. Yes, Lord. I need you to find the house of Judas. Know him. Good dude. Yes, Lord. 
He's got a guest named Saul. Yes, Lord. He's from Tarsus. Yes, Lord. You got it? Yeah. Go across town. Find Straight Street. Judah's house. Saul. Tarsus. Saul. Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Hey, Lord. You ever been there where you think you need to inform God of something he's forgotten? And Ananias was like, Jesus, I need to tell you about Saul's past. And Jesus said, no, Ananias, I need to tell you about Saul's future. Because you're not the only one I'd send a vision to. Saul's having a vision right now, and you are in his vision. And I know he came to Damascus to lay hands on you. But I'm sending you to lay your hands on him. And pray for the man. And so Ananias got up. And he walked into the room with the very last person he ever wanted to meet. Because salvation can unite anybody. And look at verse 17. Ananias went to the house, entered it, placed his hands on Saul. And he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Two words that he never thought would come out of his mouth. Brother Saul. And when he said, Brother Saul, Ananias was going off limits. His own eyes were opened to the extremity of the grace of God and the common necessity of every single person for that grace. We live in such a fractured world. If there's one thing we're good at, it's division. We divide over politics, we divide over class, we divide over sex, we certainly divide over race. And yet we're going to see in the book of Acts, there's one thing that can bring people that would never want to be together together. The fact that we all need salvation and we can all find it in Jesus. So I came to this church many years ago and at that time, just down the block, there was a place called Mazio's Pizza. And if you want to get to know me well, open a local pizza joint because I will cross your path. And the manager was a large African-American man named Michael. Now, we didn't have a whole lot in common, but he made a good pizza and we became friends. I had a Michael in my life, my three-year-old, our oldest at the time, who would come with us and always ask if he could wander into the game room while we finished our meal. One day, my wife and I finished our lunch and I went into the game room to find our son and he wasn't there. Now, some of you have been here, right? I ran into the men's room. Jamie ran into the ladies' room. And we could not find our son. We ran all over the restaurant. He was not there. We ran out into the parking lot that faced the busy roof snow street. And our boy was gone. And some of you know the horror that begins to fill your heart and your head in that moment. I cannot tell you. The joy that jumped out of my heart after several long minutes when a big, large black man named Michael had my little white Michael in his arms. 
He found him in the back of the restaurant playing in the dumpster. And I know this is going to sound crazy. But as I reflected on that moment, it was like the Lord said to me. I so wish my people would get past their differences in color. Get past their differences in gender. Get past their differences in background. And go out and find my lost children. And I try to live out of this truth. That I'm not going to meet a single person this week that doesn't need grace. And I'm not going to live a single person this week. That needs grace any more than I do. And that one common truth transcends anything I could see about them that would make us different. Our common life in Jesus changes closed minds into open arms. Look, verse 26, when Saul came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. They didn't want to be around this guy. They didn't want a bridge. They wanted a wall. Until Barnabas said, no, guys, he knows Jesus. He's met Jesus. He loves Jesus. He teaches Jesus. And what Changed closed minds into open arms was the common affection and commitment to Jesus. Our future with Jesus transcends all the stuff in the past that has divided us. This salvation can unite anybody. Grace really is that amazing. And the grace that Ananias brought to Saul is the grace that Paul would take to the world. He's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Now that shouldn't have surprised them. The sons of Abraham should have remembered that God said to Abraham, through your seed I'll bless all the nations. They should have remembered that Jesus said, I send you into ta ethna, every ethnic group to make disciples. They should have recalled that before he ascended, he said, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But for the first several years, the church didn't go anywhere. They couldn't wrap their head around the idea that Jesus actually wants us to go to other kinds of people. They couldn't accept Gentile inclusion. And we're going to see it took divine prodding for them to realize salvation can go anywhere. Even to Gentiles. He's my instrument, Jesus said. That word, it literally just means jar or vessel. Let me show you another verse where it's used. Paul would write, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach the Lord Jesus Christ and that we're your servants for Jesus. And we have this treasure from God because we are like clay jars that hold this treasure. That's all we are. We're not impressive. We're just jars. We're dusty. We're heavy. We're cracked. But we can hold treasure. And God's got a plan. I'm going to ship jars all over the world. I can ship jars anywhere. And those jars have a treasure. 
And is there a nation where God doesn't want jars to go? Is there a people group in the world that is off limits to the mission of God? David Platt, in a recent book, told a story about a man in his church named Matthew that for a number of years had lived in one of the nations considered one of the most hostile to Christianity on earth. I don't just mean that they oppress Christians. I mean they arrest them. In this largely Muslim nation, the church underground is growing rapidly. So David asked Matthew, how are they doing that? What is their strategy? And Matthew said, when a Muslim accepts Christ as Lord and Savior, what the church does is ask them to write on a sheet of paper the name of every person they know who does not follow Jesus. Well, that's almost everybody they know. And then the church leaders say, okay, now circle the names of the ten people on your list least likely to kill you if you mention Jesus. And start witnessing. And that's how the church goes. Because there's a God in heaven. And he shared a dream, a vision with a man named John. Who saw a throne and around that throne was every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every color and every ethnic group. And God is not in heaven right now thinking, I shouldn't have said that. That dream is too big. I was too premature. What was I thinking? They can't do that. God is not embarrassed by his vision. God has not taken back his dream. God is not regretting and wishing he'd never said it. God wants to see every tribe, every color, every tongue, every race around the throne bowing to the Lamb. That's why we have Harvest Weekend. That's why we have Baptism Weekend. That's why anybody is welcome to come to this church and hear about Jesus. We cannot limit the mission of God by our biases, by our ethnic or national pride, by our prejudices. And we must not let the biases and the prejudices of other people limit our obedience. Because some people are never going to see the mission of God. And they're never going to buy it. Verse 20. At once Saul began to preach in the synagogues, Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. If you can't silence by debate, silence by death, right? But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. This is going to be his life. He's going to spend the rest of his life trying to avoid getting killed. Bouncing from prison to prison, beaten to beaten. In fact, you get down later in this same chapter, he goes down to Jerusalem, they try to kill him too. He's only been a Christian for a few weeks, and before the chapter is over twice, people try to kill him. They still do. Thousands of people are martyred every year for Jesus. 
Martyrdom is just Satan's way of trying to destroy the evidence. But Jesus said, I've chosen him for this. Because salvation can endure anything. Now, we wouldn't normally put the word chosen and suffer together, would we? He's my chosen instrument. I'll show him how much he must suffer. But here's what Paul knew. A gospel that costs you nothing cannot have an unlimited impact. If your walk with Jesus cost you nothing, your impact as a witness is limited. A moment ago we read that verse about how we're just jars. Let's read the very next verse. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. See, the message of Jesus is never taken seriously by people that only talk about their triumphs. Now, I know there's a version of Christianity there that is getting sold. It's something like this. Hey, just come to Jesus and you'll get a new job and your kids will be on the A, B, on row and college will be paid for and all your diseases will go away. And nobody listens. Because that's not life. But here's what they listen to. I'm following Jesus. I've given him my life. It's not always easy. But Jesus has given me a joy that pain and cancer and hurting can't rob. It's not always easy, but Jesus has given me a hope that even death can't steal. It's not always easy. But Jesus has given me a purpose for life that opposition... And misunderstanding cannot deter. And a message like that can go anywhere and reach anybody. And Paul was willing to go through anything so the gospel could go through him. And do you know we're here today because Paul wouldn't quit, don't you? Unless I'm mistaken, 99.9% of my audience right now is Gentile. And we are here because that man would not quit. He suffered to the very end. They took him before Nero. Nero did like this, thumbs down. And they took Paul out and they executed him. We don't even know where he's buried. Most scholars think he was probably dragged to a dump where dogs ate his body. But today, we name our dogs Nero. And we name our sons Paul. He could endure anything. Because salvation was worth everything. It still is. So, 
I mentioned the blessing of being in this country. Here's a story from our beginning. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. One of them was named Thomas Nelson. He was a very wealthy man. In fact, he funded the munitions for many of Washington's battles. And so it's the important battle of Yorktown. And General Cornwallis took over Thomas Nelson's magnificent estate as his headquarters. And it wasn't just a symbolic gesture, it was strategic. Because Cornwallis figured there is no way that Washington will aim his cannons at my headquarters because it's the house of his good friend. And when Thomas Nelson understood what was happening, he went to Washington. He said, you point those cannons at my house and you destroy it. Whatever it costs is worth it. He lost everything. But he would say he won. We're going to see in the weeks ahead the story of a man whose dedication knew no limits. He was sold out. And here's the problem. You're going to be tempted to hear me preach and say, well, yeah, but that was Paul. He's an apostle. We can't live like that. That bar's too high. And here's my response. You would do what he did. If you saw what he saw. When your world has been rocked and your paradigm shaken by an encounter with the blinding reality of Jesus. You don't go back to same old, same old ever again. Maybe that's what we start. Maybe what we need most of all this morning is to invite An interruption. And ask God for a new encounter with Jesus. Would you bow your heads? And so God, our prayer today is big and it's bold. For those that don't know what they think about the whole Jesus thing. I pray they will have soon an encounter with him that is so undeniable. That they cannot help but live the rest of their life out of the truth of His living presence. But I'm also praying, God, for the many listening to me right now that have accepted a version of discipleship that is dull, tepid, frankly, boring. We need... An encounter with Jesus. We need to be blinded so that we can see. So we're asking Jesus. Would you surprise us. In a way we could not have expected. With your presence. So that we will not accept. Any more limits. And we ask this in your name. Amen.